0: Well, if you are just joining us in this January Act series, then you need to know that we've had two weeks of good news. Let me tell you what the good news has been. It's been that there is an open door now for the Gentiles, for people of every nation, every race, every language, from everywhere. Open the door and let them in. And we've also said that even though the the human beings who are actually involved are not very impressive, just people, just a church, just instruments, in the, you know, not the expensive violin sense, but in the, you know, the spoon in your cupboard sense. Um, We learned last week that they, we, are God's servants. And in the very biggest possible sense, God had promised a servant to bring light to the Gentiles, light to the world. Jesus is that servant, but Jesus in the power of his spirit sends people like Paul and Barnabas and churches like Antioch, both of them, the big one and the small one in our verses, and sends us as the servant now to do the servant's work to the ends of the earth. So in partnership month, that is what the, the, the partnership of all souls is for. Isn't that exciting? To continue the work of Jesus, God's servant, with a message that is for the ends of the earth, that the door is wide open and they can join God's people. So if that is right, and Paul and Barnabas, they are the servant of God, you might expect that in chapter 14, things would would go well, wouldn't you? Uh, Maybe you've been really looking forward to this week. Uh, maybe you've been looking forward to the, the work of the servant starting, light like to the Gentiles. Maybe you listened last week, and uh, with our third point, you thought, yes, I'm in. I'm in. I want to be his servant, where I live, where I work. And um, I know that no one really treats sermons like this, but imagine that you thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait until the sermon series has finished, uh, wait and find out the end of Acts 14, and then I'm all in. So two more Sundays, presumably, and I'll learn something useful about how to be the light to the Gentiles. And then the Monday morning, straight after, let's go. And uh, the revival begins from my office on the third floor of Winston House, next to the Travel Lodge in Finchley. That's it. We're off. And, And maybe you are already imagining it how that week will go. Uh, maybe you've been imagining that. They're all going to become Christians, aren't they? Obviously, maybe on Monday, it will be someone on the desk next to you. On Tuesday, it'll be a couple of people in the canteen, uh, staff, and then they'll tell everybody else. On Wednesday, the managing director uh, might become a Christian and then make the um, the boardroom available for preaching and uh, Christianity Explored courses. Uh, on Thursday, maybe 50 people We'll become Christians and there'll need to be some kind of rota agreed so that there can still be somebody on reception when we have the Bible study on Friday, which we do normally with, with, you know, two people and a dog, but it'll be everybody by then. And then you can't wait to be back here on February the 3rd for the Sunday after to tell us all about it. How much like the chapter that Tim just read to us is that story? How much was it the the same as that? Uh, these are the, the first two towns after Paul announced that now we're going to go to the Gentiles on our map. Uh, there, this is uh, Iconium and Lystra, um there in the middle, from smaller Antioch to Iconium and then on to Lystra. And if you look down, people do become Christians. 14 verse one, a great number of Jews and Greeks but there is conflict as well. Verse 2, there are other Jewish people, described here as those who refuse to believe, who stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And verse 3, Paul and Barnabas, they spend considerable time and they speak boldly and there are miracles and the city divides. Verse 4, And at that crisis moment with half the city for them and half the city against them, there's a plot to physically harm them and they, they find out and they have to flee to Lystra where, um, things then get even more strange. What do you think? Is this, um, is this things going well? Is this the, the servant of God bringing light to the Gentiles? Is this this what we should expect in, Finchley and Battersea and Croydon if we were to try that there. And the answer in the chapter is yes, this this is what we should expect. Whether or not this is going well, this is what we should expect. Just look ahead to verse 22 that we're going to get to next week and say some more about. Uh, Verse 22 describes the return visit by Paul and Barnabas to all of these same places. And and he doesn't say, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry about all of that. Wasn't that strange? What happened when, when I was with you? All that opposition and danger and confusion and opposition. Uh, I promise you, we, we, we've never seen anything like that before. And I promise you, it will not be like that ever again if you copy us and take the message out yourselves. Is that what he says? No, verse 22. Uh, They spend their time strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain, remain true to the faith, don't give up, because we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, there is something typical, something normal about the crazy visits to those two cities that we've got in front of us tonight. The, The first two towns... After the door opens, sets an expectation for what it might be like, even in Finchley. Uh, In the meet and greet, we deliberately ask, what is the best reaction you've had when you've told someone a Christian? I imagine there were were encouraging stories all the way around uh, this room. But it's not all like that. Uh, And the book of Acts, the story of what Jesus continued to do after his death and his resurrection, It sets us up for what is normal and typical. And here are the the three things we're going to look at. One focused on the message, total good news. One focused on the reaction, total unpredictable madness. And then one focused on what we should do, speak boldly. So the the good news. And I said last week that uh, in Acts 13, we get a, a sermon that is a summary of Paul's teaching which means that you can read that in everywhere else that Paul goes, unless we're told otherwise. So 14 verse 1, they speak, and a great number believe. And we don't have to guess what kind of things were said. Look back at 13 verse 38 and 39. This is the message to the ends of the earth. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Forgiveness and freedom. Jesus said that everybody who sins is a slave to sin, and Jesus taught that every single one of us will be held to account by God for how we have lived. And Jesus taught that the, the pass mark is to love God with all your soul and mind and heart all of the time and to love your every neighbour as if they were you and to do to them exactly what you'd want them to do to you if the situation was reversed and to do that all of the time as well and to everyone. And anybody who sees themselves clearly knows that that is a pass mark that we are failing spectacularly. And also knows that that stopping sin, that is not something a slave and an addict can do without help. And now, 14 verse 1, here is the help. Jesus, he has lived and died and raised, and through Jesus is proclaimed forgiveness and freedom. That is the salvation, that is the light being offered to the Gentiles. And then even... Um, in Lystra, in the middle of the crazy events, they're still trying to bring this good news to people. We'll, um, we'll tell the story in a second, but um, w- when the priests of Zeus bring bulls, quite alarming, You know, I don't know how many bulls, but you're more than one, for sacrifice in front of a, a big excited crowd, um, Paul thinks, what a moment to invite them to something better. Verse 15 of chapter 14, uh, he doesn't just need them not to sacrifice these bulls to him, But more than that, we are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Um, He's not affirming their worldview. It's not very PC, perhaps, but it is good what he says. If your life was all about something worthless, about pouring your, your money and your time and your love into something that cannot even hear you, uh, let alone help you, the the statue of Zeus. We miss some of the sense of fear behind the the crowd. In Lystra, Paul and Barnabas, they appear to have the power of the gods. So there is this fear. You'd better be nice to them. There's actually a, a story current at the time about a day when the gods visited Lystra and no one welcomed them except one old couple and the gods became angry. That maybe explains why they really throw themselves in, that sort of fear. And Paul says, here is some good news. Zeus and Hermes, they're they're not real. And their statues have no power and their, their priest cannot threaten you and your effort for them is worthless. But we can introduce you to a God who is living. To someone, a God who you don't need to make. In fact, the God who made you. And he is kind, and he is joyful, just like his world, like you know he must be. And you can turn to him forgiveness and freedom from this God. Who wouldn't want to believe that, the good news? Backed up by miracles, both in Iconium and in Lystra, backed up by testimony about Jesus risen from the dead, and you think, surely, a message like that and a power like that is going to go better than my normal week in Finchley, maybe even better than my imaginary week in Finchley. Well, uh, let's look at what happens. And I've called this total unpredictable madness. Um, in other words, it's not all good or bad. It's just it's just very strange uh, what happens and a bit alarming. So in Iconium. It is the effectiveness of their speaking and the evidence of their miracles that actually seems to just make this worse. I don't know if you remember last week, the the root problem in 13 verse 45 was jealousy. Jealousy at how quickly this message was gaining a crowd. So actually, same again, everything that they do well actually makes it worse and the, the people of the city were divided. Um, but then come on to Lystra. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, sort of reintroduce the story to you, pausing occasionally, just to ask what you would expect to happen next. That's often a really good way in Bible stories to work out how strange it is, what actually happens. So uh, Paul and Barnabas go to Lystra and they meet a man, uh, verse uh, 8, a man with an impossibly incurable medical condition. He's lame. We're told it's from birth, and he had never walked. So Luke underlines the impossibility of him walking so that when he does, we would know this is unquestionably miraculous. No um, months and years in UCLH doing physio to learn how to walk. He jumped up and began to walk. Okay, first ports. What would you expect to happen next? It's a small town everybody has known this man from childhood, there's no faking this, Uh, perhaps maybe you expect hundreds of people to begin following Christ. Perhaps you think, if only the Lord would do this in my office, uh, then everyone would become Christians. Well, look down, verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, um, they decide that the gods are here. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And it's nice. We're not told whether Barnabas, you know, had a little moment of feeling pleased that he's been recognized as the chief God, you know, Paul, just his son, just because he's a bit gobby. But, um, but this is, a um, real religious mania here. They bring bulls, they bring wreaths, and they plan to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. Slightly crazy. Okay. Second pause. What should Paul and Barnabas do at that point? What should they do? It it looks like they don't at first understand what's going on. Verse 11, this is uh, the shouting. It all happens in the local language. But once they do understand it, how should they react? Should they be pleased? Um, At least the locals seem friendly. Uh, Maybe this calls for some sort of sensitive cultural accommodation. Uh, Bulls and wreaths and sacrifices, that must just be how they say hello uh, in uh, Lyconia, in the Wilder Corners, uh, maybe Paul and Barnum was time to join in with the local traditions. Verse 14, when the apostles heard, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? And then there is um, the sort of mini sermon on the occasion of being mistaken for a God. It's not one I've ever thought I need to bring with me to a a mission week or uh, somebody's workplace, something like that. But the headlines again are, um, we're just men, not gods. But more than that, uh, the good news is Zeus and Hermes, they're not gods either. You can actually turn from all of that. And even that, the the, the clothes tearing and the shouting and the, the message only just stops the sacrifices with difficulty. Um, Just taken aside, because I think this might be a helpful verse to have tucked into your pocket, Um, notice how very, very strong their reaction is. I think this is useful whenever a friend, and often it will be Muslim friends, intelligent Muslim friends, who say something like, um, could it be that Jesus was just a human being who was misunderstood and um, turned into a God by Christians? You ever had someone ask you that? When they do, just just ask. Well, just tell me. How should a good prophet or preacher respond if somebody does mistake them from a god and want to pray for them, uh, pray to them? And you see what these verses um, would show them. If you opened it with them, as would a number of other places in the Bible, is that actually there is total agreement on how you should respond at that point? Human being being mistaken for a god, uh, Paul. Moses and Muhammad all agree. You respond like this in chapter 14. You tear your clothes and you demand that they stop. That's awful. And then you can take them to the Gospels, maybe somewhere like John chapter 5, where Jesus responds totally differently. He is humble and he is holy, and he is blessed by God with miracles, but he is entirely content to be honoured like his father, to be worshipped like his father. Uh, Jesus is different to this. Okay, that was an aside. Um, Third pause at that point. They've stopped them sacrificing. We've cleared up the misunderstanding. And uh, maybe we think this is the moment when the whole town will become Christians and we can all celebrate and begin a church here. Um, Well, no. Verse 19 Trouble has been following Paul around, he's been running to stay ahead of it, and it arrives now from Iconium, and the crowd is won over, and they stone Paul, and in fact, they drag him outside the city, thinking that he is dead. Uh, the, the turnaround is very sharp, isn't it? From God to corpse in one verse. So looking at these 20 verses, what what do you think of the first two stops of servant business? What do you think of what Acts lays in front of you as the example of the many hardships that we must go through to enter the kingdom of God, as what will be in, in some way typical of how it will go? Uh, even in Finchley, in the office block next to the travel lodge, if you were to start telling people about Jesus. And, and how does this make you respond? Does it make you want to stop speaking about Jesus? Does it make you want to, you know, never start? Well, the book of Acts wants us to be strengthened and encouraged to remain true to the faith. And third, speak boldly and keep speaking. And I just want to look at three um, observations about their speaking. Um, the first one is just simply their example. So you can track through the, the response, the opposition, and what they do about it. And the response gets worse and worse and worse. And what they do stays exactly the same each time. So follow it from 1345. Uh, there we have this jealousy. And at that point, it is all verbal. They began to contradict what Paul was saying, and they heaped abuse on him. How do you respond? Verse 46, Paul takes that as the trigger to go and tell uh, infinitely more people. That's the contradiction and abuse. That's the trigger. Bus, go and tell more people then. Open the door and tell the whole world. So then 13 verse 50 And they are actually picked up by the scruff of the neck and thrown out of the town. So what they do, 14 verse 1, is they do what they usually do. They go to the Jewish synagogue and they speak. Um, Certainly they have not learned to be cautious of any one type of person, have they? There's nothing, no sort of uh, racist assumptions, there's no defensiveness, there's no change at all. They go and they speak. Um, and this time, verse 5, do you see it's it's even more serious? This time, this is the police phone call, isn't it? Um, I'm sorry to tell you, but we have um, received intelligence that there is a credible threat to your life. Um, we we need you to take this seriously. Uh, and they find out, they're told, and they flee. And you'd think maybe at that point, is that not the, um, the signal to, to lie low? Um, this is this has become dangerous now, uh, not just uncomfortable, but dangerous. So 14 verse 7, they flee to a place where they continue to preach the gospel. Um, he's a slow learner, isn't he, Paul, you'd think, and Barnabas. And then in, uh, in Lystra, they do actually carry out the threat. This time there's no police warning, and they do actually pick up rocks and stones. Uh, again, remember, Paul and Barnabas, they're real people must have been absolutely terrifying, a crowd. Uh, They stone them, and they only stop because they are sure that he is dead. Uh, But he isn't, and so he leaves, and he goes to Derby. What would you do in Derby? Uh, Isn't that the place for a rest, at least to let the, the injuries heal? Verse 21, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Um, it's not that Paul's a slow learner, it's that he's the servant of God, as are we, we said last week, uh, when it was good news. Um, and he will speak boldly everywhere he goes, no matter what happens. Verse 3, speaking boldly for the Lord. Um, there's so much we cannot predict about what will happen when we speak for Jesus. There's no promise of a Finchley revival, Um We'll look next week at whether when Paul and Barnabas got home, they thought these few weeks had gone badly or well. But at least this bit is clear. Just keep speaking. Whatever happens, keep speaking. Um, second observation is sort of about, um, I think there's a reassurance here in, in how, um, unpredictable and strange, their, um, their weeks in Antioch and Iconium, Lystra and Derby uh, were. Um, I suspect that many of us we think that if we could only speak for Jesus properly, then everything would go well. Uh, and when it doesn't go well, we we you know depending on who we are and our personality, we sort of root for answers. Maybe I'm not nice enough. Uh, Maybe I'm not loving and kind and and caring enough. Uh, Maybe I'm not effective enough in how I speak. Uh, Maybe I I got the words wrong. Maybe I don't know the answers well enough. Maybe I'm not powerful enough. Um, Is this chapter helpful to you? Verse 1, they spoke effectively. Uh, Verse 3, they are powerful, aren't they? Uh, the, The miracles that were happening. And the nature of the miracles there, and also in verse 10... Um, These are compassionate events, aren't they? This man who had never walked springs to his feet. Uh, It's like Jesus, Uh, effective and powerful and compassionate. These are the servants of Jesus speaking and acting just like him. And they are treated just like Jesus as well. In fact, um, the, the crowd flipping here, it is just like Jerusalem with Jesus, isn't it? that they were cheering for him on Palm Sunday and yelling crucify by Friday. Uh, and this is the, the, the step up, if you like, in that we're into Gentile territory where people believe all sorts of different things. And there's, it's a sort of just total crazy soup of what they believe and what they might do. They might say anything. They might do anything. They might worship you as a god. They might throw rocks at you. Uh, verse 14, I guess, is not how they thought they would be spending their day. Uh, tearing their clothes and saying, "Please don't worship us." Is that an encouragement to keep going? Um, I think we we uh, begin speaking to people sometimes, and we we approach the point where it becomes or might become crazy or might become hard, and uh, we correctly discern that that is coming. Uh, you know, in fact, the person on the desk next to you begins to look upset as you speak to them, and we discern that's coming, and we retreat until we learn how to do it better, until I'm more compassionate or more powerful or more effective in order to prevent the kind of reactions we see in the chapter. Um, I wonder, really, if if this is our partnership meeting every Sunday, that's what you come to at 5.30, um, maybe that is what this meeting is for. It's for the support and the bandages and the prayer and the help and the, the swapping stories, not just of what is the best reaction you ever got. Um, actually, you could include stories like this. Uh, because uh, I guess that this is saying, unless your stories are as mad as this, uh, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Sorry, other way around. Unless your stories are somehow madder, worse, uh, off the chart, which I'm not sure you can be from here. Uh, there's nothing that could happen to you in your week in Finchley you couldn't bring here and tell us about um, third observation and final one. Um, there is a connection between the goodness of the message and the strength of the reaction. Uh, bland, boring messages uh, do not get this kind of reaction. The, the goodness of the news is actually a challenge to their worldview. Um, so not everybody that you talk to will will want to make you a god or will want to stone you. But the, the strength of reaction is connected to what they say. And again, just think, um, if you were to run this chapter through, um, I don't know, the, um, the, the wise advice department of multicultural Britain, uh, what the advice might be. Um, see, Paul's sermon to the crowds with the bulls and the wreaths is surprisingly very, very similar to his sermon to the synagogue. He says to them as well, no, no, it's time to worship Jesus now. Uh, Leave the gods. It's quite a challenge to us in the sort of multi-faith model that we live and breathe. Maybe just read through that section again, what Paul says from verse 14. Uh, Ask yourself, how much do we really think it would matter if the man went home thinking that Zeus and Hermes had healed him? How much do you think that would matter? He'd have his legs. He'd have a future. Uh, He'd be able to get a job. He'd be able to look after himself. He'd be thanking a God, wouldn't he? Uh, Maybe the culturally appropriate local manifestation of God. You might think, or even take it one step on. What what if he went home thinking that Paul and Barnabas had done it, as good men, as powerful healers? Oh, be nice for them to get a bit of credit for a change. How much would it really matter? Um, Paul and Barnabas think that it is clothes-rippingly important because there is one true and living God, and only Jesus can share his honours because only Jesus is the king appointed in chapter 13. Only Jesus is the risen one who is the living God. And so Paul will take that message anywhere he goes, to any Gentile, any race, any tongue, any language, even in the confused craziness of Lystra or London. So there's a a vision for the 530 congregation, maybe for all souls. Um, We're we're not a collection of the the smooth talking and the successful. This isn't where you come to tell us uh, how very well you did this week at telling people about Jesus. This should be, could be a collection of those who speak boldly and then come and tell us about your crazy week, uh, the discouraging week, the opposition. I Look around you, the, the people in the room. I um, Just imagine if you're, someone in, in your family, uh, one of your close friends, ended up working on the office desk next to someone else in this room. Look around this room. I would be so thankful to God. Probably cry for a week uh, if, if someone I really cared about ended up on the desk next to you with a chance to hear about Jesus. Um, if we told the people around us, yeah, I am a Christian, if we told people uh, this is uh, who Jesus is, freedom and forgiveness, Uh, leave what is worthless, come and worship Jesus now, Um, then each Sunday maybe we would be a collection of the battered and the bruised, maybe literally even, Uh, certainly maybe a collection of the confused and surprised, but we would be a collection of the servants of the living God as we take the light of salvation to the ends of the earth. Uh, let me pray that we would find the boldness and do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, how by your spirit you have put together your word, that we see what it is like normally, typically, uh, even in this, uh, this sort of strangeness and the opposition and the mixed reactions. Father, thank you that um, that you are with us, that we would uh, not need to retreat uh, when we see people's confusion and even hostility, but that we would go on and go on speaking. And Father, we pray that the light would shine and that people would turn to Jesus for forgiveness and for freedom, we ask in his name. Amen.